connected with. Uh, I grew up um, going to fourth home as an elementary school student, and I do have a really funny story. Maybe I can share it some other time, but um, uh, I was locked in the bathroom at fourth home and they had to break down the wall. And so that was when, you know, we were meeting in person and we, we had those instances, if you remember those, of um, just interaction that were funny and fun. But uh, again, I, I'm glad to be back here. Uh, I think sharing the word of God with you all, but also just with Home of Christ. There's something about uh, Home of Christ always being like home. And so I grew up in the Bay Area. Uh, I went to college at UCSD. I studied molecular biology, wanted to become like a doctor. I wanted to go that route. Uh, cancer was a huge uh, part of my story, uh, just my family. And one of the major um, things that I wanted to do was find a cure for cancer. And so uh, I worked in the biotech field for about a year and a half. And then I realized I really love hosting Bible studies and talking about God. And, and, and so uh, in the midst of that, I was invited to uh, come on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And InterVarsity is a national nonprofit Christian organization, works on college universities from across the United States. And uh, so, yeah, loved doing that, loved working with it. And I only thought I would do four years and then maybe go back into biotech or do something else and eventually fell in love with it. And so uh, four years in, um, I, I started my seminary degree, got that done, um, you know, heard the call to to just stick with it. And so uh, been blessed uh, in doing that ever since. So grateful for that. Um, and then so so now I'm like a missionary sent to the college and university campus and, and Home Christ is one of those uh, supporters that sends me out as a missionary. So I'm grateful for that. So brief, brief, again, brief introduction. Um, I have two kids um, and I'm gonna put in the chat, but if you wanna see, don't look now, just follow along. But here's a reference for you. Um, I put in the chat, there's um, a website where you can find out more information about uh, me. Um, I've just been thinking a lot about this next generation and, and the challenges that they've been facing. And so, um, so that's why I usually don't have websites for myself, but I created one because I started writing about that and more and more talking about uh, the struggles of this generation, what they call iGen or Gen Z, and especially now in the pandemic. So those those of you fit that category, uh, we know that these times are very unique, right? We are over Zoom, we're talking about God over Zoom, we're meeting over Zoom, and community is a very challenging thing. And I know I listened to last week's message and I think drawing close to those that you might not draw close to, um, that's a very good word. And I feel like community, how do you do that even now in Zoom? So if any of you, I just want to say this as a disclaimer, even before I, I start speaking um, about scripture and everything, is that if any of you are feeling like the challenges of just mental health struggles or just uh, loneliness, isolation, please reach out to someone. Reach out to the leaders at Home of Christ. Reach out to those. Uh, ask for prayer from friends uh, because it's really, really important in this season that um, that if you're struggling, that it, it's it's a chance for you to share, right? And uh, all of us have struggles. No, no one is without struggles in this season. So I just want to say that just to, to clarify for you and to know that. Um, so let me start with this. So I grew up uh, in a house of rules, like many Asian American children. Uh, uh, I had plastic wrap. I don't know if you all had that, like plastic wrap over like remote controls and over sofas. Uh, my, my family wanted to keep everything uh, brand new as possible. And so um, there was a rule also about wearing shoes inside the home, right? So a lot of Asian Americans follow that rule and you have to turn off the lights and you're not using them. 
Um, it sounds just really frugal, but I think there were very normal house rules that I grew up in. And so, uh, again, this may seem like second nature to you, like, well, Alan, we live this, we know this, that's true. But when I went to college, uh, I saw my dorm uh, buddies put their shoes on their own bed. And then I knew I wasn't in uh, the Bay Area anymore. I knew that something was different when I saw that. Um, in church, we also have certain rules about how to be a good Christian, right? Some of us say we must follow the Ten Commandments. We have to know them. Um, uh, some of us say, you know, you have to you have to dress a certain way. You have to be a certain way. Uh, you have to act a certain way. So, um, but for us, we have to understand right now, rules also are helping us survive in a global pandemic, right? Wear a mask, stay six feet apart. I mean, as Howard was announcing uh, that, that the church gathering, you, you have to have rules, right? We have to abide by them because they help us in living life right now. And I want to say, friends, there, there are two types of people, I think, in our world right now. There, there's the type of people that want to abide by the rules. They think that rules um, uh, are important for you to live life, right? And then there's another group of people, which is, well, rules are open to interpretation, right? That, that you know, we... There's some rules that we follow and there's some rules that you don't have to follow or you can bend it a little bit. And so it's, it is no wonder then that we see God in the same way. We see the Bible sometimes as a, a rule book, right? And we, we think of God like we would think of our parents who run, who run a set of rules that make us believe God is against um, any of us having fun or unwrapping that remote control or sitting on that couch. You know, we think of God in this way. And so the main thing I want to tackle today, the question I want to tackle, if you're following along and writing anything down, I just want to say the question is, is God about rules or is God about relationship? You might hear that a lot in social media. A lot of pastors say this, God is about relationship, not rules. Or God is, I mean, God is about relationship, not religion. And, and you see that and you hear that. And I, I want to just ask the question, so is God about rules or is God about relationship? Now, the answer is more descriptive than you might think. Uh, it, it's, it's not as much black and white, but it's, it's more descriptive. And so uh, I want to go into that. Um, for that, we need to go back to the beginning. Uh, the passage in which we are going to sit in a little bit is going to be coming from when the first rules were made, and that's Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to be looking at verses 1 uh, through uh, 21, and we're going to look at the New Living Translation. Um, I love that translation recently just for the New Testament. Uh, it's been uh, something I've been sitting in, soaking in also. But um, before we do that, I want to pray again and just make space for us to engage with the scripture. Uh, all right, so let me make some space and let's pray again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask in this unique season that you would meet us in a powerful way. We need you, God. There is no day that we can say we are free without you. There's no day that we can say we can go on on our own strength. And we pray, Lord, that that dependence, um, that limitation, would that be the reality for us, God, no matter how old we are, no matter how long we have walked this earth, that we know we have limitations. And that limitation is to show us that you are God and we are not. And that limitation shows us that we depend on you and not upon ourselves. And so I pray, God, that as I speak from your words, it would be your words, not mine. Would what comes from you stick um, to, to these here, uh, your, your beloved? And I pray, God, that... Um, it would ring true for their lives. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I'm going to read. Uh, you can follow along with me um, if, if you have your Bibles with you, but I, you don't have to. I'm just going to read this, verses 1 through 7. We're going to break it through uh, three sections, but I'm going to read uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 
It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees. Uh, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. This is the interaction we have here in verses one through seven. We have uh, the serpent um, who, who's speaking, uh, which is really unique, and uh, making an emphasis of rules that God had made. <clears throat> so here we also encounter the first lie. And the first lie, the first bending of the rule, which is uh, interpreting the rule as God uh, saying, you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden, right? So you see there's already a twisting of this truth of the rule that God has given. And so here's when we see Eve reply with truth. So in Genesis 2, 16 to 17, it actually says, let me read this. You can follow along if you want, but you don't have to. Uh, chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, it says, But the Lord God warned him, you may, eat freely, you, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So we see there that God does say any fruit, any fruit's available, right? But we see the premise here beginning with a serpent saying, <clears throat> God's telling you you can't have anything. And that plants a seed of doubt in God. Uh, and, and, and it's very interesting because that's the first thing that we see the, the lie being uh, created. Um, and so now we have to ask if the tree itself, does the tree have inherent properties that change the nature of Adam and Eve? Uh, are there changes that just happen as a result of disobedience, um, breaking a rule? So uh, I wanna share that in some commentaries, um, there's, there's this one theologian named Derek Kinder uh, he's just a theologian uh, from a commentary. And he says that, that tr the, these trees are actually sacramental, right? Uh, in the broad sense of the word, they're physical means of spiritual transactions. They were there as physical sacraments, like for a spiritual transaction. The fruit was appointed as a function and carried a word from God. It confronts, man's, uh, uh, it confronts man with God's will. So it's a chance to say yes or no to the rule, say, saying yes or no. To what's there. So for me, I think of the trees as a real representation of consequence when we don't follow the direction of God. Some of us might ask the question, well, why did God put the tree there in the first place? Like, why doesn't God just delete a tree of knowledge of good and evil? Well, I think it's a reality, a real representation of consequence when we don't follow the rules or I would say the directions of God. So like when Google Maps tells you to turn right, but you say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn left instead. Uh, you end up being lost, right? 
the act of disobedience could no longer occupy the same space in Eden with a perfect God. So in a sense, chaos ensued. It's a, it's a cascading effect of sin. So once uh, Eve and Adam decide to eat of the fruit, basically what happened was we get this cascading effect of basically sin, of disobedience from God. Right? Sin is, is that disobedience from God, of not following God's rule and direction. And so basically, everything is wrong. And the world as we know it today is a result of this one instance. If you are feeling any sense of uh, loneliness, depression, sickness, um, anxiety, uh, fear, it comes from this moment here. You can blame this moment right here. Uh, this, is, this is the origin. This is the place where it started where we see systemic issues, racism, uh, sexism, all these isms, right? This has its inception right here in Genesis chapter three. We see this moment where it started from a lie and a bending of truth in this moment. And so again, I, I, I was thinking, hey, maybe I could do a three point message or whatever, but sometimes I think it's better just, hey, have one point. So I wanna tell you my main point right now. Uh, so if you're following along, or if you're writing anything, it's basically this is that if you want a relationship with God, it requires direction from God. Okay, let me see that one more time. If you want a relationship with God, a meaningful, deep, uh, thriving relationship with God, it requires direction from God. Okay, so uh, how so? Where does that begin? So let me read in verses eight to 13. Here we're gonna go into the second section um, <clears throat> of what happens. So um, Adam and Eve eat the fruit, then we see what happens. Verse eight, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Verse 11, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Verse 12, the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Verse 13, then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? Um, this is a bad move from Adam blaming the woman right away. Uh, we, see, we see a beginning of blame and, and, and other things. But um, in, in verses 8 through 13, in light of the disobedience, the instinct of humanity is to hide and to blame. When we break uh, uh, rules or do not follow the direction of, that God wants for us, we do feel shame and we, we do hide. This is the result again of sin. It's the sin that drives us away from God. But what is beautiful about this passage is that God is searching for Adam and Eve. Do you see that, friends, in the passage that God is searching for Adam and Eve? God allows himself to be heard as he was walking in the garden. God chooses to make the sound of his movement known so Adam and Eve could come out of hiding. It was almost like an invitation, right? So this is the example of scandalous grace. Uh, God knows what ha has already happened. God, God, God in um, the uh, omniscient, that's, that means all-knowing uh, uh, personhood of God. There, there was already knowledge of that, but God chooses to make not uh, a thunderous like fire, but a sound of the cool wind of the rustling of the leaves. This is an example again of the scandalous grace, right? Um, 
It's the picture, though, also of a father who has been hurt because their children did not obey. I feel that. I have two kids, and one of my ch- children don't listen to what I say. It, I, I say things not to take fun away, but <clears throat> for their own protection. And it, it breaks my heart when they don't listen to me because I know that they'll get hurt. And my, uh, just a side note, my son's seven and my daughter's four. And so they still yet do not have a clear picture of the world. And so they, they need my guidance in a lot of ways. But just like this moment here, God's heart is broken, I believe, in this, in this place because the relationship has now soured. Adam and Eve had everything. Humanity had everything, everything they needed. They were walking with God. God was among them. And they had to exchange it for a lesser God. And that lesser God was one of autonomy, one of independence from God. One that actually resulted in more rules being set to protect them so that they don't do this again and again and again. Observe here that Adam said he heard God and was afraid because of his nakedness. Okay, so let's look at that. He, uh, he hears God and verse 10, and I hid. I was afraid because I was naked, right? Because of his nakedness. Now, listen to this, friends. If you're following along, listen. It was not because of how ruler-like God was or how mean and authoritative God was or how God does not care about his creation, but it was because of Adam's nakedness that he hid. So in the passage, we see it very clearly that there was this reason uh, 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 after sin now that that this autonomous kind of uh, self-awareness that has caused uh, this distance. Their sin has changed relationship with God and God's creation, even in, in how the trees now, they hid behind the trees. They were being used now for their advantage to aid them in hiding. So some of you environmental theologians, that the green like idea of like how our sin affects environments right there too. What breaks my heart about this story is that the intimate relationship between God is now broken. The whole connection between God, there's a brokenness there. There are physical barriers that now stand between God and his creation. Yet on a deeper level, there are emotional barriers, fear, avoidance, defensiveness. These things have now been entered into the garden of Eden. No longer could Adam and Eve walk freely without feeling shame. I mean, friends, imagine if we could sit here today. I mean, some of us, uh, in our homes today and, and, and never have to worry about feeling ashamed, rejected, or feeling fear. How would that change our lives if we could feel fully connected to one another and to God? There's a story from this book that I love. It's called Good and Beautiful God by James Byron Smith. And he has a story that he talks about uh, between the difference between a city dog and a country dog. And some of you might have pets, so you might relate to this. Um, but the idea is that there's a city dog that lives with his master and the city dog spends all day just cooped up in his in his small apartment complex in the city right and and this city dog basically is waiting and waiting until the master comes home but only for the chance of being free and being able to escape and so when the city dog hears the smallest creak of that door open what happens it jolts it goes right out through the door and runs and then what happens is the master has to go out and chase after that city dog because that city dog has felt enclosed, encapsulated in that small space for so long. And so sometimes that what the master will do, will, will bring a leash, will have to yell after this dog, 
and we'll have to uh, bring treats maybe to bring to, to lure the, the dog back and say, hey, come back, come back, right? Um, because the city dog, all it's about is, is I need to break free from this, this lifestyle. Now, the difference, now the author James Byron Smith talks about the difference between the country dog is that the country dog, the country dog lives in the wide open spaces of the country. And so the country dog might spend the day wrestling with a skunk or rolling around in the field or, uh, or wading in the rivers. And that, but the country dog feels that, but then at the end of the day, what happens is the country dog goes right back to where it always longs to be, sitting by the porch on the by the master's side. And so this is the idea is that the country dog knows what it's like to wrestle with a skunk and get all messy and all this stuff and, and be free, but every day longs to be sitting right by beside the master. And this is the example, friends, of what it's like to live um, when we think about Christians, uh, when we live under a house of rules, when we think it's just all about rules, that what happens is we're like the city dog and we think we're just enclosed. God just wants to take away our fun. We can't do this. We can't do that. Uh, going to church is all the Sunday services. They're all just about actions, right? Uh, that, that you have to follow rules. But uh, what God is emphasizing to us is, hey, be like this, the country dog. Like, you know, it, we've experienced sin and the, the, the depth of sin. And we know how good it is to be sitting by the master's side. We know how good it is to live by the master and beside the master. Now, that example itself is a small dim reflection of God's actual work in our lives of what God's trying to do. The whole story of scripture is actually the coming and culmination of Jesus Christ. And so what we have here is that we might not know the way to be like the country dog. We might not know the way to the master. We might not know the way of what the master wants. But you know what's beautiful about the gospel, friends, is that Christ has come to us in the form, God has come in the form of human flesh and blood to say, this is the way, walk in it. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins so that we might be shown the way to the master. And um, I'm going to go through the last section of verses 14 to 21. We're going to read that together. So follow along if you want. Um, it says in verse 14, then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head. Uh, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain, you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat of its grains, by the sweat of your brow, will you have, will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because uh, she would be mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skin for Adam and his wife. That's where we end in our passage um, in verse 21. But uh, I want to say that these are the consequences that come with disobedience. I want to highlight the distinction that God did not curse man and woman. I had two specific curses that, that were existent in Genesis 3, but it was not um, cursing man and woman. To frame 
um, our context, we should know that curses are not like Harry Potter magic, but they're like consequences. God curses the serpent and the ground, not Adam and Eve. I say this because far too often we can think God's grace is not good enough for me because we have been suffering under our own consequences of disobedience to God. Uh, the reality is that God is actually fighting for humanity to bring them back into intimate relationship. It does not mean that sin is excused, but it's rather accounted for in this instance here. The text continues with God cursing the serpent to crawl, eat dust, have hostility between man, woman, and her offspring. God cannot allow disobedience to go unchecked. God is a righteous God. Uh, God cannot let sin be without consequence because God cares deeply about how things harm us. You see, God has a good and correct order of how creation is to be run, a set of rules that God has created to thrive in life, not to take fun away. Note that God never destroyed Adam and Eve, but allowed them to suffer the consequences. God allowed it. Eve will now have pain in childbirth, and God intended to be easy and painless, like a blessing. I wish that were true in my own life, and seeing my wife go through that. Um, I have seen firsthand, right, that, 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 that's what it's like. But the, the curse is also relational, that she will also long for man, but it will also uh, not be of a helper, but now of supremacy and subjugation, relationship between man and woman, consistent battle. There are not creation mandates. Um, the, these, 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 um, these, what we're reading is descriptive, uh, but the relationship mutuality, mutuality, partnership and equality that was intended is now marred by sin. Do you see what has happened in this gender dynamic? Is that we see now uh, the sin that has entered in that has destroyed the sense of equality. And so how do we get back to what God had intended? The direction of life God intended has now changed courses. So what is surprising in all this is how God acts in verse 21. I'll, I'll say this very clearly that we see it here, is that in verse 21, God is already sacrificing his good creation to make garments, to cover up the shame and nakedness of Adam and Eve. A shame that did not exist before, but now must be dealt with because of the rule breaking. You see, we can break the rules God has for us, but we must suffer the consequence of moving away from God at each and every action. The good news is that God in his love and abounding grace is there to welcome us in, in paying whatever the cost to reunite us. So here is killing the animals so that they can have skins to cover their, themselves with clothing, right? Um, so we see that now right, in the foreshadowing of Christ's death and resurrection, that we are covered from Jesus' sacrifice, just like those animals that were sacrificed, that Jesus in his life, death and resurrection, that would cover our shame so there would be no more, that anxiety was put to the cross, that depression was put to the cross, that the fears that were put to the cross, that, that sin that you're, 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 you're still feeling, is, it, it, it's put to the cross, so that our shameful sins are no more when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we are given grace upon grace, the scandalous grace that we do not deserve, which is the beautiful message and story of scripture, actually. So back to my original question. So again, I want, I want to emphasize, again, if you have one point, you're following with anything, if you want relationship with God, it requires direction from God. And my, my word of rules, I'm, I'm interchanging it with direction, because I think sometimes when we think rules, we think of like classroom and, and ground rules and and things like that. But really, God sets rules as directions, right? Directions of how you should live life. So is God then about rules or relationship? Well, I want to answer it this way, is that I believe it is both. It is because of the relationship that God first initiated with us 
that we have the rules. However, these are not classroom rules. Like I said, it, it, we need to understand how to thrive in life with God's direction. When you live without direction, you are lost. But with Christ, we are found because we are given a way to live life. And this is um, a passage I want to share also. I didn't put it in there. I didn't give it to Howard, but I wanted to share this uh, from 1 John chapter 3, verse 21 to 24. It says, Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. And we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. Verse 23, and this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Verse 24, those who obey God, God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit, the Holy Spirit he gave us lives in us. <clears throat> if we love God, we will obey what God wants. Right? That's what First John is talking about. This is what Genesis is talking about. This is what you're, you're going to see it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. You'll see it throughout all the scriptures. That's the Old Testament, but you'll see it from Matthew all the way to Revelation. Is What we see is that the desire of God is this loving relationship, but it comes from obedience. Right, And obedience is following the direction of God. So if we obey what God wants, we love God. Now, again, I said I have two kids. Now with my kids, I have rules in my house, but um, uh, you know, one of them is like, don't run in the street because what happens if, if they run in the street and a car comes, they, they get hit. So my son started skateboarding recently. Well, not recently, but uh, uh, maybe like a couple years ago, um, he started skateboarding. I wish I started that young as he did. He's seven years old again. And uh, it's a very San Diego thing to do, uh, Southern California thing to do. And when he started skateboarding, he wanted to always go in the street. He always asked, Baba, can I, can I just, can, can I just go in the street? Can I, it's, it's like, there's nothing there. Like there, no one will come. And I told him, no, you can't. I kept refusing because um, uh, it's not safe. And I said, well, unless I'm close to you or I'm able to see you, then, then, you know, maybe you can go on the street with me. Right. Um, eventually uh, my son, he's going to be able to go on the street because that'd be weird if he was like 18 and he couldn't skateboard on the street. But um, eventually that, that will happen. But because I love him, he stays on the sidewalk. And because my son loves me, he says, all right, yes, Baba, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to you. Um, I will. Um, now, the funny thing is my daughter, she's a whole other story. <laughs> she likes to bend the rules. She has me uh, literally pick her up from the street and bring her back because she runs. She's four years old now, but she loves bending the rules. And she literally has her own personality like that. Uh, depending on your situation in your life, sometimes you match like my kids, right? Like I said, there's two types of people. There's people who follow the rules to a T. That's their personality. That's a, if you, any of you know Enneagram, it's like a type one of the Enneagram. It's like, how do you be the someone that must follow the structure and the rules? Now there's others, and, and this applies to me. I'm like this. I am, that's where my daughter gets it from. I, I try to find, okay, is it really, can you, do you really have to follow that rule? Is that really the way, like maybe there's another way, right? And, and I like those innovative, like creative type things. But, you know, um, I think the reality is that, that depending on who you are, you can fit into one of those two categories. But the question I want to ask you from our scripture in Genesis 3, from knowing who you are, is this, is that what keeps you from trusting God's direction for your life? 
So for you right now in your life, in the pandemic, uh, October 25th, 2020, what keeps you from trusting in God's direction for your life? I need you to just dig deep and think about that for your own life. It could be about relationships you have or you want to have. It could be about your workplace. It could be about your school. There could be things that you are just lacking trust in. God, I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. I don't believe that this pandemic will end. I don't believe that things will end. I don't believe that you can heal my family because of all these things that I've experienced. I don't believe that you can heal my relationship with my sister and my brother. What keeps you from trusting in God's direction for your life? I want you to think about it. Write it down, journal it somewhere. Uh, I want you to give that to the Lord. Feel free to write that question down and uh, ponder upon it. Um, I want to close this in a word of prayer, but I want to pray for you, especially in this season, uh, in light and adjacent to this passage about um, trusting God's direction, um, that I want to pray a blessing just over you, that you would hear God's voice, to know that the Holy Spirit, just like 1 John says, that you would know that the Holy Spirit lives in you if you believe and have faith in God, that God will direct you. Uh, in scripture, it says, whether you look to the left or the right, you'll hear a voice that says, this is the way, walk in it. So we hear the voice of God when we follow close to God's direction. But sometimes there are barriers, and it's sometimes our own selves. I know this personally. That I will put myself and say, no, God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to stay on a college campus for 14 years and become a college minister. <laughs> like There were moments that I was fighting that. And so wrestle with that. Where is God? trying to direct you in your life and where are you trying to push back against it? Uh, let's pray. God oh, bless you all. Um, Father in heaven, I ask that you would meet uh, these precious ones here. They are your sheep and I pray God that they would learn to listen to your voice. And I pray God that your voice would be a booming sound, uh, gentle as the wind, but it would be clear as day. And I pray that you would be able to engage these here especially with the barriers that they have to following you, to hearing your direction. And that direction might come through community, might come through scripture, might come through their own prayer times. But I pray, God, that they would seek for your direction, not their own. They would lay down their own autonomous desires and independence and really depend on you. And God, your intention of us living in the Garden of Eden, of paradise with you, God, as it comes to fruition in Jesus Christ, would that settle in us, that the grace upon grace is layered upon us, that we are told to live uh, and walk by your grace because of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that that would be true, Lord, for these here. And I pray that you would uh, guide uh, and trust them to you, Lord. They're yours, God. They're not mine. And so I pray that you would lead them and you would speak to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, wait. Um, I can't see the 